Did you hear Krishnamurti? I did one time with Ken Walkup. We went up maybe with a couple of other people to hear him. We, we went into the Oak Grove, and we actually had to stand outside and listen to loudspeakers. Ah, quite a crowd, huh? Yeah. But that was fun. I mean, it was, and it was fun talking about it on the way back and everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he could stir the thinking. I have no idea what he talked about. I totally don't remember it. I do remember a great story from Ken where he said that at one point, uh, I think KCRW was playing Krishnamurti's recordings on the air. Uh-huh. And he was, um, Krishnamurti was speaking and he was going on as he does, you know, just kind of you know, letting his thoughts, you know, sending his uh-huh. thoughts out there and leading you on a certain train of thought. Then there was a pause. And in the pause, Ken said he had this insight. And then Krishnamurti said, you see, you just had an insight. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And Ken said, I have, I totally understand being in a class and having a teacher, you know, intuitively spot something and say it, but over the radio? (laughs) (laughs) So in terms of words, I guess um, the words that are coming to mind have to do with uh, disruption, disruption. so I'm trying to, to distill it down to some words that I think matter or that we could, you know, words that would have some power to them. I mean, disruption is kind yeah. of general. It doesn't really... Yeah, I was, I was kicking around exploitation, of course, misinformation, misdirection and all that. That's also kind of just broadly general. But I, I know Trump is basically, he's really exploiting his base. Yeah. Treating them basically unfairly for his own ends. I don't think he's really exploiting for anybody who's got a head on their shoulders because they just look at him and say, you are so screwed up. <laughs> don't come in here with your completely unfounded wailings about election fraud. You know, the only election fraud that we've ever had to deal with over the decades is voter suppression by somebody in the last 20 years, the Republicans. But definitely taking advantage of people who, God knows why, hold him in such high, high evaluation. Yeah. Of course, exploit as a noun, an exploit is a, is a different kind of word. It's a feat, an accomplishment, you know, a great deed, a great action taking is an exploit. Yeah. Climbing of Mount Everest or something like that is, is quite an exploit. And you take it into a verb that has, uh, has a neutral meaning, which is to make use of, like to exploit the presence of the, of the gold ore or something like that. To yes. Exploit it. It comes from a Latin word which means to fold out, and in the Latin sense of explicare, has to do with making known that which is more obscure about something. So it's like if you can imagine it's a folded up piece of paper that has an idea on it, and you fold out the piece of paper and you see clearly what the mm. idea is. Yeah. You only suspected it before, so that's you exploit the idea in that regard. And then, of course, English must be a bear for some people to have to learn because we're sitting here talking <laughs> about a word that you say five different ways and it's literally five different meanings. Yeah. And of course, the verb exploit and its use mostly today has to do with people like Trump and others who basically are, heard a lot about uh, Jeff Bezos exploiting his workers by paying the minimum wage and no vacation benefits for COVID. Right. And meanwhile, he made another, you know, $10 billion personally this past few months. Right. But it's just interesting that all these different approaches to the word. And, of course, a lot of it, I guess, has to do with intention. And as we've so often come across, the idea of who are you including 
in this intention. If you only include yourself as important in the, in, in the intention to exploit something, then it's, a, it's bad news if you're successful. But if you include everyone in, 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 in your idea of exploiting, then you try to, you're trying to reveal that which is good for everybody and not just yourself. Yes. So in a sense, there's a dualistic or materialistic aspect to it. And in, in one part of in one way of looking at the word or one part of the word's meaning has to do with, and this is the way it's used in France, is, is to develop something. Uh-huh, yeah. So, so something is uh, a property, for example, is uh, exploité. It means that they've developed it. And that means in, from our frame of reference, that's a state of mind of uh, managing resources and being a good husbandman yes. for resources. It's like a right, right useness kind of meaning then. Yeah, going to your point, then when exploitation becomes using other people to gain something for yourself and leaving those other people in a miserable state, then we're obviously talking about something completely different. Yeah. Because it really, it's two different states of mind, right? Because the one state of mind is about managing something for, for benefits of who knows who. And the other one is about managing people as if they were resources, you know, managing human resources. Yeah. But in such a way that, that their, their freedoms are quite limited. And because of their limited freedoms, you make more money. Yeah. You gain for yourself by limiting, taking actions that limit them, which is, of course, not a proper development of a situation for anybody except yourself. So developing a talent or developing the potential, say, of a, maybe a musician or an actor... Or if you, the development can mean a kind of promotion. That is, when you talk about, you use advertising to exploit a product as is. So in our Prospero studies, we present classes and we do our mailings and pitch the method and try and get people to come. So in that sense, we are exploiting translation, meaning we are promoting it. But when you come at it ontologically, where the premise is that everyone is included, because that which we essentially are is the same for all of us and all present and everywhere, so we're, we're one in that regard. When you come from that point of view, developing the potential of something sort of invokes those three cosmic attention therapy questions that one should ask about doing anything, and that is one, will it work? Two, will it hurt anybody? And three, is it beautiful? Yeah, those are beautiful, a beautiful way to frame whatever it is you want to do. Yeah, and really defines the proper process for exploitation exploiting a situation or exploiting a potential, developing the project. Yeah, I believe the word is so charged now that it takes a bit of stretch to get to the point where you can see it as in some other context. Yeah, because it, it so easily fits into a divisive dialogue, which is what we've been living with for a long time. I mean, even greater divisiveness in the dialogue than had existed before. So yet everything tends to run that way. You sort of have to pull yourself out of one point of view, of, say the position of the exploiter, and say how could the person who's being exploited maybe use exploitation for his own good? Hopefully not to copy the person who's exploiting him because that just passes the sins on. <laughs> yeah. Tempting, tempting to what may be. Oh, well, and that, that, does, that does happen, right? Look at the culture in, in the tech industry. You know, where you had these uh, people kind of styling themselves on the bad Steve Jobs image. You know, the guy who uh -huh. would call you into the room and yell at you for 20 minutes and tell you this thing is crap and don't bring it back to me until it's better and blah, blah, blah. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and that became the model of what, what's an effective CEO, and it's just toxic. And it, and yeah. it, it really shows up when you, when you get to Uber. It's, it's grown into this basically conflagration. They, that was a complete catastrophe. No, yeah. That was some of the worst of corporate exploitation we've experienced. Some of the, the way businesses model themselves, they model themselves after a Walmart or a Bezos or something like that, or an Amazon, where they're exploiting the service side of their of their business in terms of promoting this image of we have products for you, quick delivery, cheap price, all that sort of thing. And another level of exploitation going on inside the company where if you're hired by Walmart, they immediately tell you to, to sign up for Medicaid and food stamps to shift the employee benefits burden over to the public. Yeah, it's very hard to keep it from going that way. And asking myself then, in this environment, how can I properly exploit a, whatever talents I have? And I think we have to hitch them to the cosmic intention. I think I have to do that. Yeah. Using those three sentences maybe as a guideline. Yeah, it, it provides a framework that's larger than your personal... I mean, it, it's got plenty of room for anybody's personal ambition, right? Well, right, yeah. <laughs> but it's larger than, than just the ego. Yeah. Yeah, it's something where you use your personal ambition to arrive at uh, an impersonal goal in a way, which is the, the common good. Impersonal in the sense that the best of love is impersonal because it simply includes everything and everybody. So if we were to apply these three principles from cosmic intention therapy, let's just uh, imagine that we're Jeff Bezos and we're setting up our company. Right. And first thing is, will it work? And Will it work? Of course, it will work. Uh, will it hurt yeah. anybody? And, of course, the, on the one side, it's, well, no, everybody's going to have a much better opportunity to get what they need faster and blah, blah, blah. But mm -hmm. then if you start to include all the people who work for the company, mm -hmm. then you're running, you're running afoul of that second premise. It's, it is hurting somebody. And so as, yeah. long as, as long as you've got that, then you're on the wrong track. Yeah. I mean, and this is where we really need to exploit, that is, fold out and reveal completely the, the nature of the business we're going to truly exploit this business, then it demands a kind of a transparency, as it were. If it will work, certainly the target works with Amazon because the target is to deliver a reasonably priced product to the consumer. And Bezos himself has delivered corporate talks and written papers and essays and stuff on thinking service, 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 service to the person that's writing you the check. You know, make it as easy, make it as easy for him as possible. So the constant innovation in terms of delivery methods and all that. And then, again, the second guideline, will it hurt anybody? Well, if you're really exploiting this company and what it does, that is developing it, then transparency says there is a cost. Uh, it, I don't know that it's necessarily built into a low-price, fast-delivery service that people have to be hurt inside the company, but this has to be examined because, will it hurt anybody, means we've got to look at everybody involved and fold out the effects on all of those people. And that's where we get into... Well, the last time Forbes came out or something, Bezos was worth $180 billion. And uh, that's not a role model. <laughs> <laughs> because if anybody, anybody who's familiar with just the general basics of economics and world, world use of resources says that anybody who has so many assets that they, their children, their grandchildren, and their great-grandchildren, and their great-grandchildren, if they did nothing except try to spend the assets, they would never succeed in spending all of the assets. Yeah, He says... And in that situation, you get that kind of a situation. You've got somebody that has too much assets, not from any political point of view or any, you know, communistic, mean old Tsar and, and his group point of view. 
but rather the point of view of the mathematics that makes the universe work when you apply it to economics. It's very impersonal. Uh -huh. You hurt people when the gap gets too great. Yes. And that's why Krishnamurti had often said that this disparity in incomes is, is actually a form of violence because it, the, very, the very nature of its existence in such unbalanced ways harms them. So applying the second guideline means re-looking at the, the distribution of the wealth of the company's profits. You know, I work for a company that's 30 people and, you know, certainly not big, but the owner, he takes out, it has maybe about $14 million maybe in income each year. I won't put, say any names or specific numbers, but when you have that much income, and it's fairly low overhead because we're not, it's not a manufacturing business. It doesn't require any great delivery of stuff. But uh, the head of the company who takes all the tax hit because it's basically a form of a sub-S takes out a couple of million out of that 14, takes another 10 million to run the company, or maybe eight, maybe 8 million to run the company and pay all the salaries to people. And it, at the end of the year, there's maybe four or five million left over. And it all goes to bonuses for all the employees. Wow. Uh, he just like he says, leave four hundred thousand dollars in the account so we can get through January and February, and then <laughs> and the rest of it. He sits down and basically just keeps massaging the numbers until all the rest of it's gone in bonuses. And uh, I'd been in conversations with him, and he said, I'd like to be smart about taxes and all that sort of thing. He says, you see what some of these billionaires are doing. He says, I don't want to be a billionaire because he's very in touch with the people in his company, and he's he's in touch with people in general. Uh -huh. And I've seen the way he's handled me and other employees in the company, and it's very it's impressive because the premise is I don't need to be a billionaire. That's not the standard. <laughs> the standard is living together and harmonious happiness uh -huh. with everybody eating well. We're certainly capable of it. So this um, is there a greed factor here, or is there some other factor that makes the second guideline need more work? I think so, because I think if you do that, if you start a business that is successful in its end product and delivering that product to its customer, and you really include everybody in the examination of whether anybody gets hurt, and you simply take the steps you need to take to eliminate that, then I think number three is done. Then it's beautiful. Uh-huh, yeah. And I might go so far as to add in all those people you're considering whether or not they get hurt, you should probably do what Costa Rica and Ecuador do, do in their country's constitutions, and that is recognize the environment as a person also. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's official there. Because they, uh, you know, it's all you got to do is have your whole life depend on those bananas coming in or the crops coming in or those butterflies continuing to migrate so they can pollinate and the bees and, the, and that sort of thing. Because all, all of our welfare depends on that, that at the end of the day. But that's a larger discussion still with all my rambling on. <laughs> I like to hear you ramble on. <laughs> So I think um, from an ontological perspective, then, from our point of view, then, it's the, there is this intrinsic understanding that there's one life and that that life is the same life as the guy who's down on the factory floor trying to pull some packages out before the robots get to them. Yeah. And somehow, if you, in your consciousness, you have an understanding of that e equation, that the beingness of that person is the exact same beingness as your beingness, you're going to want to have dignity for that person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When we say that in the study that then you, because you have to love people then. You may not like, the, like them all or the behavior that they show, but you have to love them because of the, uh, the compelling intuit involved in that understanding that your beingness and their beingness is one and the same. 
so that so that respect for them becomes a gesture happily done in, in, in love, in kind of an impersonal love. And of course, caring for them as you care for yourself and care for yourself as you care for them, the same. I think that the, this is a really good message to understand right now because as we spoke uh, before we started recording the conversation, you know, we spoke about the challenging times that we're in, the, the challenging month that January is lining up to be, yeah. and the kind of friction that is, um, you know, hitting on all sides from different perspectives depending on what part of the picture you're in. But So this, I think, is a good way to stay centered and keep clear about what the real valuable things are to go over these three ideas that you that you've set forth yeah i agree william just core simple reminders keep us centered keep us holding on to the center and we'll get through it we'll get through it and we'll turn turn it into something beautiful you bet